Welcome back to this week's episode of Miller's Movers. A little bit different this week, a few less uh, horses taking my eye in the handicap marks that have been released this Tuesday morning. But there was, of course, a bumper uh, card at Cheltenham, Trials Day. And unusually, it actually perhaps was a Trials Day meeting. Very often, I think it's poorly named because very few horses you see running and winning at Trials Day actually go on to the festival. But that might just be a bit different this year. So I thought it was certainly worth spending a bit of time looking at what happened there. And the opening race of the day was seen as a matchup between Sergino and Burdett's Road, both unbeaten. And it was Sergino that came out top and came out on top in really taking style. His jumping was pretty scrappy at Kempton. Nicky Henson had said they hadn't done North Lock schooling before that run. They've clearly gone to the schooling grounds, done plenty of work with his jumping because he jumped brilliantly in the main and jumped really well at the last, scooted away up the hill. I don't think Burdett Road had too many excuses, really. I don't think he was at his best. I've watched it back a couple of times trying to find out where he gave his race away. He was a bit keen through the mid part of the race, but he's been keen for most of his races before. And I, I think Sergino beat him fair and square. I certainly don't think connections will be feeling that they can turn the form around. Maybe they can get a little bit closer. I think from what we've seen run so far, Sergino deserves his place at the head of the Triumph market. But I think this weekend, Dublin Racing Festival, Storm Heart and Bunting both winners on their hurdling debut on soft and testing ground, which I think is always, I'm a little bit loath to judge a juvenile on that sort of ground. And of course, Salvatore Mundy, who arrived in Ireland with a big reputation. He's as yet unrun, uh, unraced, I should say. They have their entries at the Dublin Racing Festival in the Spring Juvenile there. That's normally a key race and a good point of the Triumph Hurdle. So I'd be keen just to wait and see that uh, unfold before making much of a decision on where I think the most likely one of the Triumph Hurdle comes from. But Sergino, if you're holding a nice anti-post ticket about him, you are absolutely delighted uh, this week heading into the Dublin Racing Festival. The next race was the one race of the day where I sort of gave myself a bit of a kick. Being with Ginny's Destiny, every start so far, told you all about how jumping is so important and worth so much and ignored my own advice and went against him off top weight Largely swayed by an interview, I must admit, that I saw with Paul Nichols, where he pointed to the to the to the big weight and the fact that uh, this was a quiet time of year for him, building into the spring festivals. And I just sort of talked myself into the fact that this was perhaps a a prep race for Ginny's Destiny. That might well be the case, but he won this and he won it handsomely off top weight in a competitive race, uh, confirming form with horses that he'd already beaten before off disadvantaged terms. And again, it's his jumping that is just electric he never misses a beat he's made for harry cobden stayed on well up the hill did it on better ground this time as well he was seemed a good effect on soft ground last time he's now up to a mark of 155 and that's three pound higher than the mark stage star carried into the turners this time last year to caveat that i do think the turners is a deeper race this year gaelic warrior Fasal Vega, I suspect, stepping up in trip into this Turner's picture. And, of course, the Willie Mullins horses, Factor File, et al., have all got to be sorted out amongst the novice chase division. So I think the Turner's this year is a deeper race. But Gene's Destiny is certainly a smart horse and his jumping can be relied on and will get certainly plenty of horses into trouble. So he was the one I felt got away this weekend and he certainly deserves his place in the Turner's field and he might well run above expectation. The Cotswold chase was sadly marred by the loss of That's All Right Gino, which I have to admit took the shine off the Saturday for me. It was a horse I had a huge affection for. I was very hopeful that there was still more to come. And it's always very sad when a horse loses its like in that circumstance. 
But the race itself, is it a Gold Cup uh, trial? Has it thrown up a Gold Cup contender? I don't really think so. Capadano, I think he's probably more likely to go to the Grand National unless they've butchered his mark by winning this. But he was 24 lengths behind Galopin de Champ in the Savills chase. Of course, he's perhaps taken a step forward for that run and appreciated Cheltenham in the better ground here. Uh, but the fact that he was able to comprehensively dismiss this field does point, I think, more to the uh, lack of depth in the staying chase division in the open ranks in the British Isles. The real whacker, he ran a much better race than he did in the King George. Um, he'll be, of course, suited by an extra furlong in the Gold Cup, but he was comfortably beaten here, and I don't think he's got any real legitimate claims of uh, getting anywhere near the protagonist in the Gold Cup. Stairway Faye, he was interesting. You know, he ran as a novice in this, and he'll certainly take plenty of benefit from this race, jumping at a bit of pace against more experienced horses. He got outpaced down the hill and stayed on. I've been dead against him for the for the Brown Advisory, the novice uh, three-mile chase at the festival up until now. And I'm, I'm still against him if I'm truthful, but perhaps less so than I was before. I think he did show a little bit more speed than I perhaps expected. And this uh, experience is, as I said, going to be a huge advantage to him for all that I think he might still bump into one that's just a little bit pacier down the hill and perhaps doesn't let him get back to them. Stephen Mulqueen on Ahoy Senor is the other point of note. Unfortunately, his leather snap fought out on Ahoy Senor, largely, I suspect, due to the amount of force that goes through those stirrup leathers with Ahoy Senor diving left, right and up in the air and just never really jumping in a fluent way. His jumping was better in that he made less mistakes but he still doesn't look a very efficient uh, conveyance from A to B for me. I think that's always going to hold him back in a, in a race, certainly of the nature of the Gold Cup. And then just as a side point, I did see a few people mention on social media that Derek Fox would almost certainly get jocked off the Hoy Senor now, you know, typed in, in bold type so you notice it so that you uh, click on and hopefully follow them for their pearls of wisdom. Derek Fox won't get jocked off a Hoy Senor. If he wants to ride a Hoy Senor, he will. I suspect he won't want to. I suspect he'll ride Corrett Rambler, who I personally think has got a good chance of running into a place in a, in a fast-run Gold Cup. Um, but uh, that said, Stephen McQueen did nothing wrong. And if he does get the leg up in the Gold Cup, you certainly couldn't hold that against him. The Clarence House chase saw the upset of the day with John Bond getting turned over by Elixir to Nuts, who was really well ridden by Freddie Gingell. Much was made of John Bond's jumping, and I think that's a fair comment. He didn't jump with any fluency, missed the second fence, was a bit slow at the first, was notably slow at the last, bar that uh, huge mistake at the top of the hill, which he did very well to get back into contention from. I mean, James Bowen did well to stay in the saddle. John Bond did well to get back into contention, and he actually got back to the lead, got out-battled up the hill by Alexia Denutz. But I think he looked very sore personally and very awkward in his action up the hill. I'm sure that's why he slowed to the last. If you watch his mistake back, he sprawls his hind legs out behind him. Those hind legs have got all the power muscles, the galloping forward muscles, the jumping muscles. They're all in that hind end. You know, horses are rear wheel drive. I think if he's pulled those and made them sore, that will account for his lack of push up the hill. It will account for him slowing down to the last and not wanting to be brave and scopy. I think there is some... Uh, weight behind the suggestion that it perhaps wasn't James Bowen's finest ride. He is certainly John Bond better when ridden aggressively, and I don't think James Bowen perhaps uh, read that uh, read that fact correctly and was perhaps a little bit quiet on him. Be interesting to see now if Nico de Boinville gets back on for Cheltenham in the Champion Chase. But that said, 
is he going to make the champion chase? I'd be surprised if he was to be able to get back to Cheltenham personally. I'm sure he would have been very, very sore this week. And it's certainly a big job for the physios, the veterinary staff and all of Nicky Henderson's team at Seven Barrows to get this horse back to Cheltenham. And then if he gets him back to Cheltenham, is he going to be in peak form? All season long, I've been hopeful that John Bond could uh, reverse the form from the Arkles last year. Um, but I'm afraid to say I'm now losing faith a little bit. I think this is a big dent, not only the reversal of the, of the, of the form, the mistakes he made jumping, but the fact they've now got to try and put a horse back together in the run-up to the champion chase in March. So I think it's uh, very unlikely that uh, John Bond can reverse form without Fabiolo now. Should mention Elixir de Nuts, very often when these races are cause and upset, the winner doesn't get his uh, just desserts. It was a brilliant ride by Freddie Ginger, topping off a really good season for this horse. He's won the Heldon Gold Cup, he won a handicap at Newbury, he was placed in the Desert Orchid Chase at Kempton. Now he's come and won this. He's gone up £5 now to a mark of 161. He was ninth in the Grand Annual last year off a mark of 147. Now with Freddie's claim of £5, I just wonder whether it's worth rolling dice and running him in the Grand Annual. He'd perhaps get a few out of the weights. It might make it a slightly more competitive race for higher graded horses. And he clearly is in a fine vein of form. He clearly goes well for Freddie, who's a very bold, aggressive rider. Um, I just wouldn't uh, dismiss Elixir if he were to line up in the Grand Annual. I think he mustn't be underestimated. And then just one final one to, to take out of the uh, Clarence House with a view to moving forward to Cheltenham is Fugitive. He ran on into third, only beaten six lengths. He missed the water down the back and he missed the fence after that down the back. He was quite slow with his jumping there and Gavin Sheehan had to get after him. But from the top of the hill all the way home, fortunately, the uh, camera angles missed a lot of him out. But I was watching him quite closely in person. He put in a huge finishing effort over that two-mile trip on ground that was probably lively enough for him. Going back up to his, his preferred trip of two and a half miles in the Ryanair. And the Ryanair is open now this year with the loss of Alaho last week. If the ground were to turn up soft, I wrote on Friday in the SBK piece that I did for them. I think he's a huge player in the Ryanair. That is only uh, a more confident opinion after seeing what he did on Saturday. Still plenty of good prices out there. Soft ground Ryanair and I think Fugitive will not be far away at all. The next race I want to talk about is the international hurdle. Now, not so much with regards to the result and the performance, because I think if you had a pair of eyes and you watch a bit of racing, you don't need me to tell you that Lossy Mouth was seriously impressive. She travelled very strongly, she jumped very slickly, and she quickened away from a decent enough field, not a vintage field, but a decent enough field in the manner of a very, very smart filly, which of course we know she is from her season last season. But the thing that struck me most was the condition of her in the paddock. Very often at this time of year, I think Willie Mullins' horses can look a little underwhelming in their coat, in their skin, because he doesn't clip them out fully. They can look a bit thick in their coat, a bit lustre in the skin. But that was not the case with her. She had a lovely shine to her. She looked very healthy. Um, and I took that as a notable sign before she went out onto track. And that proved to be with the way she ran. So she's clearly in good order. They've given her plenty of time coming into this tricky five-year-old season when she's come out in novice company against the open horses. Um, and uh, it clearly has done her well. I think it's a shame that she's almost certainly going to go to the to the mayor's hurdle. Rich Ritchie, her owner, is on record a number of times saying that for him it's about Cheltenham winners and he's not particularly worried which race the, the victories come in at Cheltenham as long as they are at the Cheltenham Festival. Um, he's not perhaps the size of owner that he once was with the likes of Batur and, and Forheen and Duvan and, and such like. Um, and so I think it's very unlikely 
that she would go to the champion hurdle to take on uh, Constitution Hill with that £7 mayor's allowance. For all that that £7 mayor's allowance has served Richie Rich, well in the past with, with any power, Constitution Hill, of course, is a frightening prospect. And as a racing fan, I think we have to be realistic about what we uh, want to see through a little bit of greed. But I think she would give Constitution Hill a serious race. I mean, we know that uh, on all known forms, state man cannot beat um, Constitution Hill, and he was Willie Mullins' number one contender up until this. But I think we're dreaming. I think we have to get a little bit real. She'll go to the mayor's hurdle. Let's hope she'll stay. I mean, she travelled very powerfully. It's not an absolute given that she would stay the, the mayor's trip of two and a half. But given how she finished her race off, I'd suggest it is a, a very strong likelihood. And she's got the gears to get plenty of uh, good mares in trouble. So that was the international hurdle. The next race that was a, a trial for the Cheltenham Festival was the Cleave, which is a brilliant race. Tom Collins getting it right with Noble Yates, narrowly beating my selection, Paisley Park. I managed to avoid Tom at Cheltenham, so he didn't get a chance to rub, rub that in. But it was a great race, but it would be very disappointing if those two protagonists, Noble Yates and Paisley Parker, fighting out the finish to the Stayers hurdle. It is a division that is uh, desperate for new blood. I would like to think the likes of Crambo, for example, might just have younger legs and a better engine than Noble Yates and Paisley Park. But it was a great race on the day but I don't see it having an impact on the stayers hurdle come March. And then the final race just to talk about was Gidley Park, who I put up as my as my confident nap, as did Tom Collins actually on the SPK betting podcast, uh, was not quite as plain sailing as I hoped it would be. Nothing really wanted to go on. Well, actually the horse that wanted to go on made a bad mistake at the first hurdle and, and left uh, Gidley Park in front with Johnny Burke. I'm not sure that was the plan heading out. Had to cut out his own running. The pace was fairly modest and it did turn into a bit of a dash for home up the hill. I think it's to his credit that he was able to get the job done in a race that wouldn't be run to suit. He's a strong, travelling, powerful horse. Certainly not a, a horse that you'd be thinking about coming back in trip and therefore being suited by the sprint this turned into. With regards to the bearing Bingham, what was the Ballymore? I think he's uh, still got a great chance. I'm not sure I've gone any harder on my opinion of him, but I do think of of the novice races at the moment, with Greeley Mullins still trying to sort out his plethora of novices. It does look an open uh, novice contest at the moment, the barring Bingham over the two and a half mile trip. And I would certainly give Gidley Park more than a decent chance in that for all that I'm uh, reluctant to, to sort of really poke my head above the parapet. I think whatever he does this year, Gidley Park is going to make up into a very exciting novice chaser next year, as will actually the horse that finished in, in third in this race, Isaac Dezobo who uh, got a little bit outpaced down the hill. He's a brother to Clan Zobo, finished very powerfully. He's had a good season and he's gone slightly under the radar. Don't think he's got Cheltenham aspirations this season, but certainly he's a horse that we fully on my radar when going chasing in the fullness of time. So coming now to the, to the more normal part of this uh, podcast, the handicap movers and shakers, slightly more truncated this week. But there were a couple that I thought ran with uh, interest and had their marks adjusted accordingly. No Ordinary Joe uh, was ridden by Mark Walsh at Doncaster in the handicap hurdle. He'd had a go at chasing previously and that didn't work out at all. He didn't seem to enjoy that experience at all. He was very quietly ridden in this handicap hurdle at Doncaster, given plenty to do. And when Mark Walsh went to make a run up the home straight, wherever he went, there always seemed to be a horse in front of him. You can make your own mind up about whether that was a very good piece of riding in terms of finding a horse in front of him from a handicapping point of view going forward, whether it was a bad ride and that he just found trouble 
personally I lean towards the former. I think this was very much a ride that uh, suggested this is a horse that's being ridden with a target for the future uh, in mind. He was second in the Martin Pipe last year off a mark of 139, trying to give a pound to Oroco. We know Oroco went on to run very well in a grade one afterwards, shown a high level of form as a chaser. No one we do is down a pound for that Doncaster run to a mark of 140. He would certainly be on uh, my short list, which is a fairly long list, I have to admit, at the moment for the Coral Cup. Um, I thought this was a, an eye-catching run, and with those colours and, and that trainer, it's always a horse that's going to need a serious consideration in spring handicaps. Much further down the scale of uh, ratings was a uh, Neil Mulholland horse, Hawaii du Mestival. Now, he was given a lot to do at Utoxeter on Saturday, ridden by Richie McLernan, was held up out the back, never really got close, and ran on quite catchingly, I thought, under uh, hands and heels. Uh, Richie McLernan didn't resort to his whip, and he finished fifth. It's come down £2 for that to a mark of just 77 I often find with Neil Mulholland that very much the MO can often be to give them a bit of a sighter on their first time in handicap company, and as often the second, maybe even the third time, that you really see the money come for Neil Mulholland horses in the handicap. Certainly a marker 77 would look more than workable. Over two and a half miles on soft ground, or maybe even a little bit further, I think Hawaii de Mestabel is certainly a horse that needs to go into your track off a mark of just 77, having come down £2 for what I thought was quite a tender ride on Saturday. Also coming down, and just a pound, is Blow Your Wad, who ran in that uh, novice handicap chase, won uh, by the poor Nichols horse on Saturday, Ginny's Destiny. Blow Your Wad, I just think, didn't handle Cheltenham at all. He looked very awkward coming down the hill and got outpaced badly coming down the hill the second time. Um, he stuck to his guns, actually. Again, the camera angles weren't great. It doesn't feature him a lot, but if you watched it in, in real time, he never really got further back once he'd got outpaced and he stuck to it. His jumping up the home straight was actually quite good. He was very impressive last time at Kempton, winning a two-and-a-half-mile handicap. I think that track suits him far more. And given how powerfully he hit the line uh, the time before last, I think maybe a step-up in trip would suit him. Maybe Tom Lacey might look towards the Racing Post Trophy, as it was. I think it's now called the Coral Trophy. Back at Kempton, over three miles. Of course, he would be taking on seasoned handicappers. But uh, his jumping was pretty good in the main at uh, Cheltenham at the weekend, despite not handling the track. He was very good at Kempton the time before that. He's the sort of horse I would certainly be interested to see if he pops up in an in a open handicap on a flat track, maybe Kempton in the future. A new entry for you now, and it was Tom Simmons trained Navajo Indy, who was a little bit unlucky not to win at Newbury last Tuesday. He did all the donkey work out in front, fought off all the challenges, and then got run down in the closing stages by a, a hurting debutant of the skeletons that looks an exciting prospect. Prior to that, Navajo Indy had finished second at Exeter to Alcido of Benicia Williams. Alcido was running at Leicester on the same time, or about the same time that uh, Navajo Indy was running at Newbury. Now, Alcido has got a mark now of 122. He finished third to a horse of John O'Neill's, uh, second, sorry, to a horse of John O'Neill's called Mount Fuji. Mount Fuji's 123. Alcido was just behind him, uh, only just be narrowly beaten 122. And Navajo Indy comes in off a mark of 117. He's got good newbie bumper form. I think this is a horse that's got more than a little bit of ability. 117, I think, is certainly workable. On two miles on soft ground, he's by Nathaniel. He copes with soft ground very well. And I think in time, he'll stay a little bit further as well. So Navajo Indy is certainly a horse for Tom Simmons that I think they can find some winning opportunities for in handicaps. 
And then one final non-mover just to finish off this handicap movers and shakers section, and that's Famous Bridge. He ran in the Great Yorkshire Chase at Doncaster at the weekend. I was staggered to see him sent off joint favourite. I have to admit, for all of his ability, he'd have been one of the first off my list for that race, given that the ground was certainly riding on the lively side. This is a horse that needs soft ground. His jumping fell apart from a very early stage at Doncaster on the weekend, I think largely due to the fact he was just out of his comfort zone. He's by fame and glory. He's not a big, scopy horse for jumping fences. A lot of fame and glory struggle with their jumping. His jumping is sound enough, but when he's on soft ground and they're going a gear slower and he can just pop, pop away, he's not a horse that's got a stack of scope for going quick over his fences. He stays on a mark of 139. If the rain were to come in February, as it often does, uh, there's some nice handicap chase targets still to be plotted with this uh, Nicky Richards trained famous bridge. And I certainly won't be giving up on him yet just for one bad run at the weekend. And we'll finish this episode with answering a question that was uh, sent in two weeks ago. We were away last week, largely due to the frost and also due to the fact that I was battling the dreaded man flu. But Dan Watkins sent in a question asking about how you can determine and how a trainer can determine a horse's best trip and the likely ground that's going to suit it. It's a it's an imprecise science to answer your question, Dan. Um, some of the things you can look at are sort of a horse's knee action. So by that, I mean how high off the floor do they lift their front leg? Very often a horse with a high knee action will cope very well with soft ground. The best way I can explain it is if you imagine yourself running from the beach into the sea for the first time on your holiday at full tilt, the further out into the deeper water you go, the higher you need to lift up your, your knees and your legs to avoid doing the inevitable face plant. It's very much the same with soft ground. A horse with a high knee action can get its feet up and out of the ground, whereas a horse with a low uh, sort of daisy cutter action, as it's called, will sort of almost flounder a little bit in the soft ground. And equally, a horse with a high knee action on better ground, on firmer ground, is going to hit that ground a little bit harder, can have a concussive effect, and some horses can find that quite jarring and therefore not enjoy the firmer ground. And it does also come back to pedigree as well. If uh, very often a, a mare has thrown a lot of produce that have liked soft ground, the very strong chance is that the next produce on the ground will, will like soft ground. As ever, of course, there are anomalies. For example, Constitution Hills Dam was uh, very much a soft ground performer. I actually used that in my wisdom as an argument to go against him in the Supreme Novices on better ground. And uh, that shows that, of course, I wasn't being daft. It was just an anomaly. And Constitution Hill can cope with better ground. In return, regards to the part of your question that asked about training conditions, um, I think the uh, development of soft ground surfaces, the sort of deep Wexford sand circles, certainly are helping to build up horses' stamina. Um, trainers use that a lot for the stamina work rather than just going quick up the gallops. And it may be in the thorns of time we see that horses that uh, previously on pedigree wouldn't think could cope with uh, quicker conditions or softer conditions can because of being exposed to that in their training regime. There is certainly a school of thought that says that uh, Venetia Williams Gallop uh, does ride quite deep and she does tend to do well with, with soft ground horses. So I hope that answers your question. I thought it was a good question and certainly watch out for horses when they're cantering down to the start. If they've got a high knee action cantering to the start, there's a very good chance that they'll cope with softer ground. So that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope we've covered all of the exciting racing that was as ever. If you've got any questions that you'd like to ask or you think I can help with, do drop them into the SBK channels and I'll try and deal with them next week. <laughs>